Hello and welcome to Autoholics Anonymous by the Autoholic. I'm Stephen Diamond and I'm joined with Ryan. You're back. Hello with Lorenzo. Yes, your cat is here joined with us because you're not in some foreign land. I'm at home for once. (laughs) Good old Rhode Island. Well, where have you been and what have you been up to? Well, I've been all over the place, but I did come home for the first snowstorm that we've had all year at my house. Did you uh, get to play in the Miata in the snow with your snow tires? I didn't because as soon as the snow came down and I woke up, shoveled the driveway, everything uh, decided to melt subsequently. (laughs) So I sort of missed out on the fun of that. But it did look nice to see the cars in the driveway with a little snow on them. The Miata looked kind of cool to be in that circumstance. And you took the Wrangler, the um, the Gladiator during that, or? I actually did not leave the house during the snowstorm. I, I stayed in and I cracked open a beer early uh, on in the afternoon, about 3.30. <laughs> Sounds nice. Nice, cozy evening of uh, working from home. Yeah, it was good. It was good. Did you guys have a big snowstorm in New York? No, and, you know, they said up to five inches, but I knew it was all kind of bullshit. Uh, I saw it was going to turn into rain in the middle of the night and and this and that. So I knew it would be gone by morning, and it was just uh, a big bowl of slush um, in the morning. So it wasn't pleasant at all. You know, even at night, I was kind of standing out on my my balcony um, looking out. And usually I like to go out and walk in the snow. It's It's very pleasant. And... You know, I'm in a new neighborhood, um, and I've this is the first time I'm in this neighborhood in the winter, and it's very charming, and I, w- I haven't seen it in the snow, uh, and I was considering going for a walk, but it just, it looked too dreary. It was kind of an icy rain, snow, sleet, and the wind was pretty strong, so it's not a pleasant, what uh, didn't look like a pleasant walk. Oh, I know those days. Dirty, slushy snow is no fun. But I'll tell you what, relating back to some of our other conversations, it is nice to be in vehicles now that have the proper tires. So Mm. today was a mess out there. It got a little colder again and and all that wet junk froze. But, you know, no no stress, right? You got the right tires, you're out there in those conditions, and it's just easy. And so I... I was thinking about that on my commute in this morning, how I appreciated that. I, I don't have specific snow tires for my Jeep, but they are the softest tires I've ever touched. And they have the three peaks ratings, mm-hmm. so they're severe snow rated. Um, but anyway, I've been in really different climbs than this over the last week. I was down in Monterey, Mexico and in Detroit and in Chicago, as well as New York City. So I've been all over the place and... Really, over the last since the last time we spoke, I've driven five new cars, which is something. <laughs> or wait, is it five or six? It's actually it's actually five, yeah, five. Um, and uh, I've driven a Chinese another Chinese car, the MG5. I think we talked about that on another occasion um, yeah. down in Mexico. Um, the new Nissan Sentra, which is pretty big now, and it's it feels a little nice. No, this one is the Versa. Uh, the Versa I had in the past down there was with the manual. This is with an auto, with a CVT, which is not my favorite. But it's just not to be pushed. Just, you know, keep it at, at a low throttle input, and you don't notice the CVT so much. Mm. Um, and then 
I was in a, a new Jeep Grand Cherokee when I arrived to Detroit. I scoured the national car <laughs> rental lot. I love this concept where they just let you loose in the rental lot and you take whatever you want. <laughs> For me, like it's a kid, like, kid in a candy store and he could stick his hand in any jar he wants. <laughs> oh, or my she, gosh. But like, you know. It's so exciting, you know, and so I go up to all these cars and I'm looking at the mileage they have on them. I see if I like the options that they have. It's yeah, unbelievable. Is there something that like tell you how it's fitted in stats of the car and stuff like that or? No, but I what I do is I actually just go in into them and I open up each door and I'll just press like the on button just to see mm. the uh, dashboard light up. And so I can I can make my decisions from there. It's a little bit time consuming. And if you let the if the employees catch on to what you're doing, they try to direct you towards the car. So I walk around, I, I keep my head down. I don't look at any of them. <laughs> it's like I know what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's actually pretty funny. And and so in this case, to find the Jeep, I had to meander into like the back areas. So they line all the cars up in the front for you to take, and then they refill the parking spots that get taken away from. But behind there, there's usually lines and lines of cars. And so if you're crazy like me, you could start meandering through those lines in the back and find a car that you really like. But it takes a bit of work to negotiate it out of there, right? You know, it took me, I don't know, maybe a 12-point turn to get out of all the different cars and and get out. But I took this Jeep Grand Cherokee because I liked the Wagoneer so much, uh, right. which I think we talked about before. And uh, it looks just like the Wagoneer. They did such a great job stylistically. Everything got elevated in their in their their class when they came out with the Wagoneer. You know, they had to kind of fill a, a higher subsection with the, the Grand Cherokee and really step it up a notch. They totally did. From from a visual perspective, I was really into the car. It has these big black wheels and looks mean. The interior has the same design language as the um, Wagoneer. But to tell you the truth, uh, sophistication-wise and, and overall levels of luxury in the way that the vehicles drive, there's a big gap, right? And it makes sense. It's a huge price difference, but I wasn't as crazy about the Grand Cherokee from a driving perspective. It felt a little cheaper and, you know, just wasn't as pleasant. And and frankly, the my biggest complaint, and probably it's because of those big wheels that looked nice, was that it was a bit bumpy uh, drive, you know? And I don't know, SUVs need to be soft. If they're not soft, why even have them? No, right. That, that that seems like uh, what's the purpose of them? And that goes back into our you know, statement about most SUVs are afterthoughts in, in people's ranges. But I would think that the Jeep, that is their range. <laughs> they make SUVs. That's their thing. <laughs> it is. And I wonder if this example that I drove was a bad introduction to it. I'd like to drive another one with the smaller wheels. I mean, getting back into my Gladiator it was so soft and comfy in comparison really light steering. This one had heavy steering. And yeah, the one thing I will say though, this damn eight speed auto is getting good because the Grand Cherokee has the same six cylinder. I've driven that six cylinder in so many vehicles now. Uh, same as my Gladiator and, and you know many other Jeep products and, and the Dodge Durango and so forth. But this eight-speed in there, man, it just flipped down through the gears, revs it right out to redline, and, and it does it all in a pretty cohesive way. And that 
engine gearbox relation was maybe one of the more impressing, impressive things about the vehicle. But with that being said, given that it's not such a big engine, the fact that it has to do all that shifting makes it a bit less of a luxurious experience. So even if you're not feeling the change, you hear the engine spinning way up and it will hold sixth or seventh gear and not go into eighth if you're on any type of incline or going above 80 miles an hour. The problem with more gears. Yeah, it's it's good. Good but bad. But the I would say the highlight of the of the last couple of weeks was driving the XC60. I do love the way Volvos look, um, mm-hmm. and this one really attracted me because I opened the door and what was I met with but a cloth interior. Oh wow! Yeah, who would expect that? On I didn't even on, know they offered that to be honest. So I didn't either, and so I went and looked it up, and actually they've done it for environmental reasons. So this is some it's like a luxurious textile. Mm-hmm. It does look it, right? It's really interesting from stylistically and feels nice, but it's made from some wool base that's sustainable and substantially less toxic than a lot of the um, artificial components that go into a leatherette or, or even the way they treat leather. So I thought that was pretty cool, and I give Volvo a lot of credit for that because it's a bold move to go for cloth on your premium product. Frankly, I can't think of another brand that's doing it right now. Yeah, I would say anything that's like that is probably more geared towards a pure electric vehicle where the, you know, they're assuming that their market finds or values the eco-friendliness as a premium part of that experience. So it's interesting on an XC60, something that's just kind of a standard SUV uh, to to make that an offering. And, and maybe you probably have to pay more for that. I looked. The interesting thing was you don't have to pay more, but it's but, not it's not a discount off of the leather or leather, right? So that that's sort of unusual. At the same price, you can choose the fabric or the leatherette, whereas historically it was always the discounted option. Um, <laughs> Lorenzo staring right into the camera. <laughs> he wants to be a part of our podcast today. Thank you for being really quiet, which is unusual. Um. So I don't know if you've had a chance to look at Volvo seats these days, but I find them to be absolutely stellar to look at. They have really interesting contour to them. They've maintained the style. If you think back to the early 90s, the way that the headrest is fixed in with those two uh, pillars, Mm -hmm. it's not a a movable headrest. Um, But they have interesting bolstering on both the base and the back. And, you know, lots of different layers. And so I always look at them and I think about the way people talk on Swedish cars being the best to sit in. And I have high expectations. And when you get in, it feels really nice. But I have to say, I drove the XC60 from New York back up to Rhode Island. And I was fatigued after the trip. It wasn't it wasn't a seat that left me feeling relaxed or, or comfortable. And I think it's because the bottom is tilted up in the front and you can't put it down. And uh, I know that's really popular with a lot of cars. You know, there are those leg extender, the, the, the thigh extenders on the front. But I never figured how to use that. Do you, do you ever use those? You know, I, I think it I know what you mean, because, I mean, obviously people have different length legs uh, and it's, I think, meant to support kind of the back of your legs a little bit but i find if it's too far out or if it's not the right length for you um i think there's a happy middle but if it's too far out you're kind of 
bumping into the back of your legs and that can be very uncomfortable especially as you move your leg around for the pedals and 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 maybe cut off some of your circulation or you know you might get a little numb in the legs from that but on the contrary having it too short your legs are just kind of hanging off the chair or, or the seat uh too much but yeah i generally find i'd prefer it to be shorter than than too long me too for example my gladiator is super short you know mm -hmm. it's very uh it's very much your legs are hanging off of that but somehow i find that a bit more comfortable Interesting to hear what anybody else has to say on this topic. I mean, there's a reason that Volvo is famous for their seats, right? Certainly safety is one component to it. I will say one other, one other item on the design of the seats. I love their little Swedish flag tag <laughs> they put on the seats. I find that to be a really nice touch and makes you feel that you're in a product that someone was thinking about, you know, and they were excited to sort of highlight their heritage. Right. No, I mean, uh, I definitely really think they they focus on the Swedish style and design. They really keep that true, even though they are Chinese owned now. Um, you know, keep that heritage and take the design elements of a lot of their furniture and, and put it in their cars, which is cool. But you'd think, I mean, they're all nice to look at, but how comfortable are they actually to sit in? Even normal Swedish designed furniture. Oh, it's a good point. Let's think about it. <laughs> yeah. Looks I mean, great. IKEA chairs aren't really the most comfortable. They look <laughs> Yeah, interesting. It's an interesting point. Form versus function. Yeah, form versus function. Well, I think that the Volvo, Volvo's doing a great job as a brand with their form, uh, right? They're, they're killing it. Um, the cars do feel a little Chinese. Somehow there's some correlation for me between the Volvo and the MG5 that I was in. Uh, but one of the other big highlights of the experience in that vehicle for me was the mild hybrid system. Mm. I'm loving all of the new mild hybrid systems in cars. They turn the engine on and off seamlessly and fill the torque in areas where engines and gearboxes might have struggled in the past. And so it makes for a very comfortable experience, especially, you know, I was driving the XC60 around Manhattan and stoplight to stoplight traffic it just was really smooth and seamless and that coupled with the airy interior and the sparse scandinavian design my mom and i were commenting that it was it was a nice place to travel around new york in yeah no it, it definitely has a good design that complements the city you know you bring up the mild hybrid uh, and i can't help to think about your complaint about the eight speed and the the grand cherokee do you think a mild hybrid system on that six cylinder in the Grand Cherokee and their eight speed would really help uh, smooth out that situation for that car. I don't think so because the issue in that car is the opposite. It was actually really good around town, but once you got up to speed, it just ran out of power. Mm. I don't think that the mild hybrids are adding any power at highway type speeds. It's more filling it in the zero to five miles an hour zone is what I've experienced. And so I, I can't imagine that it would do much there. You just need a, it's a Grand Cherokee, get a V8, you know? Don't <laughs> get a big old American V8. Yeah, well, well, you still can, get a Hemi. <laughs> so, oh, the other car that I drove uh, was, my boss was really nice to let me uh, take his B8.5 S4 with a stick 
It's just been sitting at the office um, while I'm waiting for my Cayman. And so I drove it home today and I was thinking about our conversation with Mike and uh, it's a fun car. You know, the, the there's a difference in the sound of cars from a few years ago versus now. Mm-hmm. Sound uh, sound quality is starting to go down. And, uh, you know, a few years ago, we might have been at a peak. Yeah. No, it's all because of turbos. Turbos are really affecting a lot of the sound of, of cars and quieting them down. But also the emissions control systems, which I'm all for, right? We want a clean world. We've got to have clean cars. But the, this S4 at Redline, and it's a supercharged V8, I mean V6, so it's not that it's naturally aspirated, but it screamed and it was just begging to be revved up to the Redline. Uh, feels a little older and clunky. I'm surprised after driving this that Mike spent some serious coin on a car of this era because it does feel a bit older. Somehow it feels almost older than his E60. Yeah, I could see that for sure. I, you know, when Mike shared the, the interior pics of his SQ5, um, it, it, you know, that had just that tiny screen in it and it, the screen is also kind of set in at least two inches or something. Maybe even more. It's way deep in there. Yeah. I guess maybe they're thinking, you know, prevent glare and uh, and have it have its own hood kind of a thing to protect it from the sun. Um, but yeah, it looked very antiquated um, from that infotainment system. Um, whereas the E60, I guess at the time it was a little bit too much tech. I saw the episode of Top Gear recently where Jeremy drives the E60 and complains about all the computers and the systems and how it takes away from the driving experience because you just can't get in it and drive. You have to set how much horsepower you want and the the transmission and and then everything. You have a setting for everything. So um, maybe it's held up uh, better in the long run um, than maybe some of those later systems. You're definitely right. They were ahead of it. And this is a this is a perfect example why because we're talking about a 2006. Mm. BMW 5 Series compared to a 2015 Audi. Yeah. And I like the tech better in the 06 5 Series, which is crazy. And we, I, I felt just like Jeremy when it came out. I thought it looked ridiculous. I didn't like any of it. I didn't even like the style of the E60. And I, I keep coming back to this. I'm, I got to give Bangle a lot of credit for how ahead of the times he was. I, I wonder who was responsible for the interior styling if he had a hand in that as well. I don't know. I don't know how often the uh, exterior designers really have much of a say or, you know, on the interiors. Do they own the whole thing or is it a shared partnership? This is an interesting... No one talks about who designs the interiors of cars. No, I I never thought about this before. Now I'm a little curious. We'll have to look that up and give some feedback next time. I'll do my homework, unlike Steven, because he still hasn't driven a fucking Tesla. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> should have called me up when you're in New York driving around your XC60. Say, hey, come join me in a Tesla and I'll follow Tesla. you around. <laughs> I can't drive them because 350,000 of them got recalled. So, uh, you know, there's none to be driven. Yeah, don't worry. All the Model 3s don't have full self-driving. People are too cheap to pay 15 grand for that shit. <laughs> uh, so, well, there- go ahead. Yeah, no, you were kind of talking about, um, you know, the Volvo and the Audi and, 
you know, it's it was making me think a bit about, uh, you know, you're talking about the emission systems. Um, and it, actually, I wanted to bring up a thought about my Porsche, um, which is coming up next year on 25 years. Wow, it's getting old. Getting old. Um, but which it also I feel that we're getting old, by the way, because <laughs> yeah. just going 25 years and it, it came around significantly after us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that means no more emissions testing. Oh, and that you have cats on now. Cat. <laughs> Speaking of Lorenzo and cats, I can What's get rid of them. An interesting question. How do you feel about that as a, you know, relatively woke liberal living in Brooklyn? Um, well, I, I have no mufflers on it now, so I think it would be a it would be a balance. You know, maybe take the cats off, put mufflers back on. You know, kind of. Oh, so you're you're more about the appearance than the actual what you're doing to the environment. <laughs> no appearance, but it's a 25 year old cat. How much work is it actually doing anymore, anyways? Well, that's a fair point. Yeah, I actually have some doubts. Burned out that thing. It's been on the track. It's been, you know. That's a very interesting comment. What What do these old emission systems actually do, if anything? Now, obviously, it passes emissions, so apparently enough. Right. But versus when they were first made, I I, I don't know what the tolerance is for how much emissions loss is acceptable. Um, or if they really have to be failing pretty poor, like pretty badly to, to really not pass. Interesting. Yeah, I, I think if I were you, I would definitely take the cats off the 911. I think it would probably open up the engine a little bit. And frankly, it's really starting to feel like a classic car. I was joking about it feeling old, being old, but it feels it in a good way. In a good right? way. Yeah, and taking off the cats and letting that engine breathe a bit more, I think, goes right with that. Yeah, no, I think it would be good. But it's too loud right now without the mufflers. And cats and no mufflers would be ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I, I like the idea of a small resonator. You could replace yeah. the cats with a small resonator. Yes, something like that. There's there's uh, a reasonable uh, option to be had for that. So how does it work between the Diamond Brothers? Do you have a Turo type situation? So you uh, you rent the car to Aaron when he takes it out on all these adventures? It's a, uh, a symbiotic relationship um, <laughs> where you know he kind of helps work on the car um, at times, and you know by doing so he he gets to drive it. Um, speaking of which, he just took it in a snowstorm to go skiing. He put a ski rack on it and uh, took it for a short ride in, uh, in Mountain Creek in North Jersey to go skiing at night and uh, drove it home in the Vredestein, Friedstein, Vredestein, Vredstein, um, however you're which way you want to say it, um, our wind track pros and got back home all right. He's kind of telling me uh, some stories about passing SUVs on the highway and uh, a guy in a Subaru who is pretty amazed by the car. You know, SUV with all-season tires doesn't mean shit, guys. You need no. the tires. Yeah, <laughs> tires make the difference. I did see the pictures and uh, Instagram posts from Aaron about the trip over to Mountain Creek, and uh, I really love the way your 996 looks with the skis on the back. It's amazing how similar 
that looks to the pictures that I think we all could have as posters of the 356s in Europe and the Alps with the skis on the back, right? And yeah, everything changed so much in the design over the years, but man, the resemblance is there and really strong and it it's cool. Yeah, no, it looked, you know, pretty cool and elegant, you know, um, despite uh, its modern flair and an evolution from the 356. But I, I totally see what you mean. We made jokes to Aaron that the skis were going to fly off the car, but... I thought about that as well. How did he, <laughs> yeah. how did he secure those racks? Uh, I think under some of the, the rubber of the rear windows. Um, and I forget where he had those those racks from. They might have been from his W124 um, and used them for that. But, and he somehow adapted them to, to work on my 911. Aaron is a resourceful fellow. He is. Um, but his sob is you know, spewing oil, so uh, he really had no choice but to take my car. The 900 or the the, the Vigan? The Vigan, the, Vigan, the 9.3 Vigan. And what about the 900? How's that doing these days? The clutch is roasted, so he needs to do some work on that. All those diamond starts did a number on it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's that or the fact that it was a $500 car when he bought it. Yeah, that's fair enough. Fair enough. But speaking of Porsches and my JRG uh, Palladium Gold Metallic uh, Porsche 911, you know, I sent you earlier in the week, I saw some sort of PTS Gold Porsche come up on Instagram. And at first glance, it looked very striking and very cool. It's nice to see a PTS color that's a departure from... Every other PTS color we constantly see, mostly greens. Um, and you guys first reacted to say it's cool, but it's a little gaudy. And it was uh, it was a chroma flare. It was a gold, explosive gold chroma flare, which we saw on the PTS website is not there. So maybe it's a, a more premium option, but it looks like a pure wrap that someone would do on their lamborghini um so it, it doesn't it doesn't seem quite fitting esque very very lambo-esque so it was, it was unique to see and I, I had to share it with you guys because it was something unique and i was surprised to see that it was pts related but w- what are your thoughts on all the pts colors and cars that are that are coming out i feel like my instagram feed is flooded with more pts Porsche 911s than standard color 911s I think that uh, I've actually really come to like PTS. I've been talking with a lot of different people about PTS Porsches lately. Actually, one of the owners of the company that I work for sent me a picture of a uh, GT3 Touring in his building, and it was in uh, it was Irish green. Actually. Oh. And you know what? Where Irish green originated? Now I I we were talking about this just a little bit before before the podcast. I remember the early long nose 911s, you know, the first air cooled 911s and 912s came mm-hmm. in Irish green. Yeah. And they came in Irish green with those chrome hubcaps instead mm-hmm. of uh, instead of alloy wheels. And I actually love Irish green on that car. That and is one of my favorite 911s. I agree. I think it's a great heritage color and it works very well in those vintage cars. But in my personal opinion, I don't think it's the best color for a lot of these larger bulbous uh, 911s and even Panameras or, or whatnot you might have. And I say I say sorry to my dad because he has ordered a Irish green <laughs> 992 uh, GTS uh, coupe. So 
Um, but he's doing it for a good reason. Apparently, my mom told me he, he used to have a Toyota Supra in a very similar color to that. So it's it's kind of like he's reliving uh, one of his former cars in a more adult form. So I think that's very nice of him to do it for that reason. Yeah, that is that is nice. The 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 throwback is I think a lot of what PTS is all about, right? But a couple questionable decisions from Jay on that car, the PDK. You know, I, I don't know, man. <laughs> getting older, what can I say? But he does plan on getting a uh, a Boxster T, most likely to have as a kind of small manual car to just hoon around in and, and enjoy at the limit. I think the Boxster T is a great buy for that. And actually, they're not going to depreciate because if you look at the production numbers, they made like none of the Boxster and Cayman Ts. Mm. I want to pick up that pink Cayman T that I sent you. Yeah, that was that was interesting. Surprisingly, uh, actually worked well, even though it did kind of look like a Barbie car. Um, but it, it actually worked quite well on, on the on the Boxster. With the uh, with the buckets, right? The racing buckets in the pink, I thought were an interesting clash, but somehow it worked. Yeah, it looked pretty menacing. Um, yeah, despite the pink color, it's it's like really, you know, you don't want to mess with me. It looks like I'm, I don't mean business, but I, I mean business. I mean business. <laughs> I think the other reason it felt that way is the T's have that great gray painted, um, mm. the gray painted mirrors, which I think go really well. But uh, going back to the PTS, I, you, you know, you asked what I thought about it. And, um, you know, actually one of my favorite colors on modern Porsches has been coming out of PTS. And I know it's so popular and everyone's getting it. And I, I suppose it's not so unique anymore. But I don't know if that matters to me. The oak green metallic. I don't know if you've seen, for example, um, I think his name is Jeff Chen. He's a, uh, a car photographer out in LA. He has a uh, 911 Speedster with that. And damn, that car with the caramel interior and the buckets, it is just a wonderful combination. And uh, so, you know, I really like green. It's my favorite color. I like that people are getting into it now. I ordered a Venturing Green for my Cayman. So although it's not PTS, you know, I, I'm definitely all about that. But, uh, you know, I, I guess it's uh, it's cool to have the option to do heritage and other colors on your new Porsches. I do also share your concern about how well some of those colors work on the more modern and bulbous vehicles. I want is oak green metallic and a vintage color. You know, uh, where did they come up with all these PTS options? Yeah, when you look on their their PTS Explorer site, which I highly recommend people do because it's, uh, you know, think of the car configurators we used to play with as, you know, young adults. Um, this is like that times 10 because you can choose, you know, 100 some odd colors for a Porsche 911, a GT2 RS uh, or a, a Cayenne. Um but uh, some of them have kind of the color codes next to them. And I think those are more the ones that have a heritage associated with them. The Oak Green Metallic, I just looked it up. It's been offered since 1976. So uh, sort of the G-Body 911, which is interesting to imagine. But I guess probably not often ordered in that color on that. I can't I haven't ever seen one. Well, actually, on their on their website, 
uh, you can look at all their paints either by the general color, you know, red, orange, yellow, blue, whatever, and see all the the different shades of that color to choose from. You can also just look at straight away what are the most popular colors of the PTS assortment. And they give you, I'm assuming, I'm going to call this the top 10 PTS colors. And Okun Metallic <laughs> is number five. Yeah. Um, and the top five are all green. All green. By the way, that ascot shamrock is a fucking miserable color. <laughs> I can't believe people are ordering two. that. Yeah. So right wow. now, uh, number one is Amazon green metallic, which is a gorgeous color. It's kind of a bluish teal kind of green on the darker side, though. I think that looks very cool. Isn't that the color that Dewey has on his uh, Targa? The nine. No. His is just uh, turquoise. Okay. This co- this color is very turquoise. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's similar. It's similar to that 993 launch color um, that they came out with, which this would look good on a Targa, I think, particularly a modern Targa. But uh, number two is Ascot Shamrock Green. Three is Brewster Green. Four is Forest Green Metallic. Five is Oak Green. Six is Mexico Blue. Seven is Miami Blue, which you don't, they're very, very slight differences between the two. Very, very small nuances if you click back and forth between them. Then you got uh, Amethyst, Metallic, Aubergine, and then Ultraviolet. So you got purple, very light blue, and green. Those are your top 10 colors for PTS. Out of those 10, which color resonates the most with you? I would say not specifically on the nine. The, the site is showing it on a nine nine two nine eleven. So not specifically on that car, but in general, I something specific came to mind for me. So I'm curious if it if it did for you as well. I think the the Brewster or the Forest Green Metallic seem to be the most transferable color across the range. What would you think? Yeah, I actually agree with that. I think those both are are good looking and and could go on many cars. But the one that sort of strikes my uh, attention is the aubergine, because Mm. I realized that that must be the color that they painted all those 964 RSs. Mm -hmm. And I'm just picturing the 964 RS and that aubergine with the matching... uh, Ricaro buckets, the centers painted in that, it, you know, it died in that color. That was always a really stunning car to me. And I feel like everybody took a lot of pictures of the 964RS in that color. It must have resonated with everyone, right? I can't picture the 964RS in any other color, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I, I think one of the things that you kind of bring up a point to me is that I think what part part of what made a lot of these older colors stand out a little bit more or work was that how they balanced with the interior. And a lot of the interiors had these very interesting cloths and fabrics that complemented the exterior and kind of tied it together. Whereas when you order a PTS car, you don't necessarily have a, a, a nice interior. It could be just a normal 911 on the inside or, or Cayenne or whatever car you're getting PTS on. Um, and 
I think it's worth it to make the extra step to tie whatever extraordinary color you have on the outside, tie it to the inside somehow. Um, and I know we could talk about Sam from Seen Through Glass and his uh, GT3. Um, and he did get uh, custom interior, the Tartine, right? Or what was it? Pasha. 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 Pasha, yeah. Um, which I was kind of and it doesn't necessarily tie the exterior of the car but it helps accentuate the the outside color of the car at least you know he went for a sort of bold green and at least this interior pattern echoes that right it's not it, it harks back to the heritage of the color of the outside itself by trying to mimic you know what those cars were back then yeah, I, I like that as well. I, that being said, I don't think that I would choose the Pasha either. No. It's a little much for me. There's a guy, I wish I remembered his Instagram off the top of my head. He's doing all kinds of Porsche seat interiors in Europe and just absolutely killing it with different tartans and other you know, really neat and unique cloths. And I think those type of interior customizations would lend themselves very well to a PTS. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, something as stark as Irish Green, which we talk about as being, even though it's not one of the top 10, which I feel like I see so many of Irish Green, um, I think it could be nice to have some sort of fabric on the inside that even just has a sliver of, of a green to really kind of bring it together. You Maybe like a kilt for the interior? really lead into the name of it too yeah yeah well you talked about earlier how you didn't think that some of these colors translated as well to the newer cars and you were mentioning to me that your dad saw the panamera sport turismo in irish green so what did you think of that? And, you know, while we're talking about it, what do you think of the Panamera in general? Yeah, I mean, it's a big, big car, especially in the Sport Turismo fashion. And that's a lot of green to be shown on, <laughs> on, on that car. It's like a, a billboard for, for the paint. Um, I would think you'd want something that makes the car look smaller than it is, not more obnoxious. I mean, the Sport Turismo... I think would be my choice of if I had to get a Panamera. If I was gonna get a really, Panamera, I'd probably get a Sport Turismo because it's it's a shooting brake giant wagon. Uh, it's I think it's very cool and striking, um, and I, I think it's nice that they they have that as an option. And a lot of people don't go for that, or I don't see many on the road. It definitely makes more sense from a practicality perspective. But surprisingly enough, as a big wagon fan myself. I do prefer the regular Panamera to the Sport Turismo. Mm. Why do you I agree with you on the bright colors, though? For example, I love the new Panamera. I'm, uh, we could talk more about my interest in it, but if I could choose a color for it, I would choose night blue because it's really dark and really mm-hmm. kind of flattens out all of the space and makes it feel, I don't know, like a bit... Not quite as much, whereas you sent me this picture of the um, Irish Green Sport Turismo. And as you said, it does feel like a billboard. That's a lot to take in. Yeah, it is a lot. It's a it's a very showy car that I feel like you would not want to be or make showy. 
Um, cause I don't think it's the most attractive looking car to, you know, maybe start with the sport Turismo is better, but, um, and what you mentioned, it was an e-hybrid edition. So maybe that makes it a little bit more acceptable as being something outside of the ordinary or, uh, you know, what's conventional kind of a thing. Um, but I've driven the new Panamera in, you know, some circumstances, again, at Porsche track experience, so not on a public road or anything like that. Um, and I think they're very good cars. Uh, they make you feel very enclosed, uh, so they're not the most open feeling. Uh, the Panamera's really were the first introduction to Porsche's now button nomenclature and 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 display, having all the the raised kind of center console with a lot of buttons and, and options on that um and at first it felt like you were kind of in a cockpit of a of a plane or um they also the early panameras had almost like a boat feel to it which yeah uh, flat dashboard you're right i forgot about that very flat yeah and they even had the the lines the wood lines that would kind of go through uh go through the dash to kind of make it feel more nautical um which they really moved away from but you know the new one i've driven it uh, you know back to back with the tycon and i would take in this option of of cars if i was going to get a four-door porsche I would, i'd get a tycon over the the panamera it just feels a lot more open uh a lot more welcoming and calmer i felt almost a little overwhelmed with the panamera <laughs> interesting I uh, I sort of assumed that the that the Taycan was going to feel more closed in, so I'm really surprised to hear that. Have you driven a Taycan? I haven't driven either the Panamera or the Taycan, but lately I have obsessed on Panamera videos. I think I've watched everyone on the internet for this new generation. It's my obsession over the last few weeks. I'm thinking about when Karen insists that we get an automatic in the family again, that you know might as well go for the best automatic, a PDK. And uh, so I what I was thinking was that the new Panamera with the six cylinder actually looks like a lot of fun. Seems like really quick, a a great it's a two point nine liter turbo six, which is, you know, a pretty racy motor. It's the same thing that's in the Audi RS5, right, Um, with that coupled to that great gearbox, but also in a package that's probably an excellent highway cruiser which you know we do a lot of miles actually um but i i definitely assumed that the panamera would feel more open and comfortable than the tycon i've i haven't even sat in a tycon or this new panamera uh oh no that's not true there was when i went down to um porsche of wallingford to return my audi q3 uh they had a beautiful brown is it truffle brown the color i'm not sure beautiful brown panamera sport turismo with with a beige interior and i sat in it and i said wow this is a nice bit of kit but that that didn't feel small to me perhaps the sport turismo feels a little bit airier than the regular panamera possibly but i feel like most of the the sport turismo you gain in in space in the rear not up front Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think it from a practicality of, of storage and everything is probably where you get most of that that benefit or bang uh, for your buck. Um, 
But I, I really just think the everything just seems a little bit thick. Everything seems too thick in the Panamera of this generation, where the armrests kind of come at you too much. Even the 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 window sills are a little bit too high feeling. They're very high. I definitely would echo that statement. I noticed it. Yeah, and it just feels because uh, the roof line is kind of still low to make it feel like as close to a 911 as possible. It just doesn't feel so welcoming. I would I would compare it to your Camaro. It feels like your Camaro. Wow, is that's really interesting. So you mentioned that you the Camaro feels like sitting inside of a baseball. Helmet. I mean, you know, you just have that tiny, yeah, uh, tiny little perspective out the front. It almost looks like a baseball helmet, honestly, when you think about the Camaro. Um, You, you were, we, you, Mike, and I were talking about the Panameras on on text a couple weeks ago, and you said that you liked the the last, the first gen better. Have you had the chance to drive one of those? Well, I wouldn't say the first gen. I would say maybe the second gen. Um, I think it's good in between. The first gen obviously had its, you know, uh, flaw faults and and flaws with looking pretty dreary and not being a well thought out design. And and I don't think they look as bad as they first did when they first came out. But I still don't think they look great. But I think those cars, the Gen One, yes. But especially the Gen 2, I think are great value for the dollar. I think they're overlooked. Obviously, like you said, they're great long-distance cruisers, probably great highway cars. And I think if you can swallow its appearance on the outside, it makes it all the worthwhile for probably the experience you get inside and, and driving it. And if I wanted a nice big sedan or cruiser that was still kind of interesting to drive, I think that would be my top choice, something like that. You know, something that I thought about after driving the S4 today, which I think is relevant to this gen um, Panamera because they're of a similar vintage, uh, is that this sort of in-between tech period Mm. is really difficult for cars. I think, for example, 1999, your 911, doesn't suffer from this at all. It instantly feels classic. Even though you've put in the PCCM system with the big screen and CarPlay, somehow there's no strange relationship between the car classic experience and tech. And then as you went just a little bit beyond that period, maybe starting in the late uh, 2000s before the teens, when real big screens came into play and different buttons and so forth, Certain automakers fared a lot worse than others. And uh, I have to say, I think that the Volkswagen group is an entirety, including Porsche, Audi, Volkswagen. I think they fared pretty poorly. The mm-hmm. button quality, the, the, the resolution of the screens, the way the interfaces worked. I, I do think there was a bit of a dark ages from maybe the 2006 to you know 2017 when they finally got CarPlay in the, in the new Porsches whereas we were talking about you know I had an E60 2008 5 series and although it didn't have CarPlay 
somehow the tech worked and mm-hmm. it feels less dated to be in. And, uh, you know, I, I wonder if that difference will really impact values going forward. I guess it has, right? Already those E65 series with a stick, they go for a lot of money, 20, 30 grand for cars in really good shape, which considering what they are, which is ostensibly not so special, it's a lot. Um, you know, it's as much as Panamera, which is definitely a more expensive car to start with. So I guess that does, uh, you know, that does factor into the to the price consciousness of, of buyers. Yeah, for sure. If, you, if you're on a budget and you want something kind of more premium still, are you willing to to deal with the uh, the atrocities of of early teens uh, and late noughts uh, technology? We'll have to ask Mike how he lives with that on his Q5. Because I, I, being in this S4 for a few minutes, I, I wonder how frustrating it'll be for me. I'm driving it down to New York tomorrow, so I'll have to report back next week on how it was over a long drive. But I think the biggest risk is I'm going to get caught fucking speeding because I don't have ways on a screen in front of me. <laughs> yeah, I feel like because phones and, and cell phones have gotten bigger that maybe a lot of people don't really pay attention much to the tech that's built into their car as long as they have a holder that can hold their phone up for them uh, and they can plug it in or Bluetooth, it really kind of replaces uh, the original screens. A lot of the phones are probably the same size as the original screens in, in a lot of these older cars. That's definitely true, which is crazy to think about. If you if you take your 911, for example, your screen is more than mm. double the size, maybe almost triple the size of the original screen. Of uh, the original screen of what? Of the car. I mean, there was no screen, at least in mine. Well, no, it had the screen that that read read out the uh, the radio frequency. Yeah, that, that yeah, it was like uh, half an inch thick, uh, and like height and you know four or five inches across. That was basically it, and and barely backlit. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting that that. Uh, the new PCCM still goes so well with that. But they have introduced the PCM Plus to the Cayenne and uh, a lot of their older systems there and, and those first generation of cars. So uh, it obviously, it's, it's kind of opening up a market for a lot of those more underappreciated cars uh, to be elevated to a modern standard. You're right. All, all of the ugly systems from the knots, you know, the Cayenne. Oh, what year was the Panamera released? Does that apply for early Panameras? I think it does. I mean, Panamera was, I think, early teens. Um, Panamera was, was after this. They haven't yet released that system. So it goes up to 2008 now. The In 2009 not- was the first uh, Panamera. Okay, that was already... It's- us. two of the ugly system yes interesting well i have to say after this conversation i am inspired to go out and drive a panamera so i don't think that i'll manage to do it before our next podcast seeing as i'll be going back down to mexico but perhaps in a couple of weeks i will have driven one and let you know my thoughts
that's better homework than me. I'll still, I'll happily drive a Taycan in a Panamera before I drive a Model 3. Steven, before, before I get back from Mexico, you'll have to drive a Model 3. I assure you it'll only be $50 to your expense. Is that what it is? What, Turo? No, on Hertz. Hertz. It's really interesting. I think I might have mentioned this to you, but the number one rental car now with Hertz is the Model 3. So you go walking through all of the airport rental car returns and you see Model 3s on top of Model 3s. And Musk, he's doing a good job. Yeah, he's infiltrating uh, the system. <laughs> he's the new car of the people. All right, man. Well, it was a pleasure catching up tonight. And, uh, you know, all this talk about PTS is making me think on whether or not I got the right color for my Cayman. So, yeah, even though you're late to the green game, I think the green game is still a solid one to be in. It's still a great (laughs) color. I just hope eventually PTS colors move on beyond green and move over to other great colors such as golds and browns. Yeah, here's for here's for the browns. Well, uh, let us know what you think about uh, the next colors that should be the popular PTS um, colors. Be interesting to see if it goes beyond the green and the wine and uh, onto some other things. I don't know about that uh, chrome gold that you sent, though. I I, I really hope that doesn't make it to the top 10 list. No, and I don't think it will. I don't think most Porsche owners would, would go for that. This one was uh, maybe clearly someone who has a few Lamborghinis and Ferraris and, and wanted to uh, diversify their their collection with a uh, with a Porsche, and it was a GT3 Touring. So, and I think it was interesting to have it on a Touring versus uh, a winged car. Yeah, so they, they they were really understated in their style. <laughs> <laughs> I guess go bigger go home, go with the wing, go with the chroma flare. Yeah. All right, man. Talk to you later. Thank you. Yes. Thanks, Ryan. Cheers. Thanks, everyone.